Welcome to the Richardson Seventh-day Adventist Podcast. I'm so excited for you to join us. Each week, we'll bring you a sermon from one of our ongoing series. So enjoy, and let's get to it. Well, I'm delighted to look out there and see some of you brave souls here. Not going to let Omicron stop us, are we, folks? Uh, praise God. You know, uh, I think some folk here wonder why we don't talk more about the pandemic. And I'll, I'll tell you, there's a couple reasons. One is, it's always in the news. And I'm sure that you're sick and tired of hearing about it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and unfortunately, there is, there is a lot of misinformation about the pandemic on both sides, on, on all sides. It's been so highly politicized. And our thought here is that you are intelligent, mature adults. You have information available to you. You know what the re recommended precautions are, and you know what would be the best choice in your personal situation. And so we just want to provide an environment where everybody is free to make the right choices for themselves and where we don't judge each other. Amen? Part of what's going on in the world right now is using these issues to polarize people and divide people, and we just cannot let that happen in the family of God. So uh, we're mindful of what's happening. Um, we're very mindful. We keep monitoring it, and uh, that's why we sent out the communication yesterday just to let folk know we're going to stay open. This is an essential service. You can choose whether you want to be here or not, and uh, we have precautions available, but we also don't want to judge people for the choices they make based on the information, because there's a lot of different information, and uh, you have to discern for yourself, and uh, we are going to support you in whatever decision you make. Amen? All right. Well, I want to uh, launch into a series of messages that, that I'll be uh, sharing as uh, every time that I have the privilege of speaking, and I'm, I'm starting a message today called, It's Your Choice, in a stewardship series called Stewardship is a Choice. And I want you to pull out your bulletin right away, and there's a little card in the bulletin like this, and I, I'd like you to get that little card, and I, I made it this size, and I, I want you to keep this card, uh, maybe stick it in your wallet or in your purse, or, uh, you know, maybe stick it up on your fridge or on your bathroom mirror, you get really creative, you could punch a hole in it and you could hang it from your rear view mirror in your car and it could be a, uh, a little dangly reminder there for you uh, about it too. But, um, uh, and, and I share this because that's the theme of this series. Stewardship really is a choice. And let's just read the card quickly here. I'll go over it with you. God has given me special gifts and resources to help me become the person he intends me to be. You know God has a plan for your life, right? Absolutely. That is his gift to me. I must choose to manage these gifts and resources for his glory and not my own. That is my gift to him. Amen. I, I'm not really, this morning as we begin this series, I'm not really the least bit concerned about God doing His part to give all of us gifts and blessings and, and talents and resources and to give us everything that we need to become everything that He created us to be and that He intends for us to be and for the abundant life He wants for us. Because God has already done that. 
He's already provided all of that. My concern, as we look at examples of good stewards and bad stewards, my concern is, what are we doing personally with the resources that God has already given us? That's why I've chosen this theme, stewardship is a choice. Every person here is already gifted and already blessed by God. That's not the question. The question is, what are we doing with the blessings God gave us? You see, we're all gifted with different abilities, different talents, and, and, and they're not all the same, and that's as it should be. God designed it that way. We don't, we don't even have the same likes or the same dislikes. Uh, we don't even have the same enjoyments or the same, you know, frustrations, and that's all right because God wants us to be different. It's like one gal that said, hey, you know, if everybody were like me, they'd all want to be married to my husband. And her friend said, well, if everybody was like me, nobody would want to be married to my husband, you know, but we're all different and that's okay. The question is, what will we do with what God gave us? Now, in your notes, if you're looking at those, that's also in your bulletin, this uh, ivory colored sheet, there's a definition of stewardship there in your notes. And uh, it's this, it's the management of God-given resources for His glory and for the good of others. That's what stewardship is. And this encompasses a lot more than just, you know, everybody when we start talking about stewardship, everybody thinks of money. And that's a part of it. But that's not the only part of it. Stewardship encompasses our whole life. Our entire lifestyle, every piece of it has to do with it's a resource, whether it's time or health or talent or ability or intelligence or, or material possessions, whatever it is, those are God-given resources that we can use for His glory and for the good of others. And there are at least three perspectives, there may be more, but I'm just going to touch on three perspectives concerning possessions that are very prominent in the world. One of them is communism, and uh, communism says that people are the instruments of the state, that the government should make all the rules that, that dictates to the people and controls them and tells them what to do, and the individual has no right to the title or possession of what property may be at their disposal. And so that's what communism says. Now, of course, uh, we don't live in that kind of a nation, should I say yet? But anyway, there's another uh, outlook on possessions, and that is capitalism, which is entirely different. It says that what a man can rightfully, or a woman, can rightfully purchase and control and manage belongs to them. It's theirs. And then, uh, and those are two totally opposite philosophies. But what's interesting is there's another philosophy, and that is Christianity. And Christianity says neither one of those things. God owns everything and gives resources to me to take care of and to manage. What I have is not mine it's borrowed. It really belongs to God. It's like the great song, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to what? Thy cross I cling. Too many people, I'm afraid, think that what they give in the offering plate is theirs. No, no, no. Not only what you give in the offering plate is God's, what you have in your pocket after you do that, it's still God's. There are some who think that God gets 10% and we get 
No, no, no. It's all, 100% of it is God's to start with. He's just so generous that he lets us do what we feel best with 90%, right? But we still are managing for him. Maybe we should sing victory in Jesus here this morning. <laughs> this may be a little challenging already for this early in the morning. But let's have prayer before we dive into God's word. Lord God, as we go on this journey together looking at stewardship being a choice and just how we approach the perspective of our entire lives not just with our bank accounts but with every piece of it i pray heavenly father that your holy spirit will minister to us that you will encourage us where we need to be encouraged that you will convict us where we need to be convicted and that we will be more kingdom-minded people that are serving you and being a blessing in this world as we wait for Jesus to come. Please use this message, I pray, and speak to us through your word and your Holy Spirit in spite of this human vessel. In Jesus' name I pray and thank you. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to uh, Luke. Luke chapter 12, if you'll go there with me, this will be our first story, Luke chapter 12. And, and as you're going there, I just want to point out that the Bible, uh, we're going to look at four different models of, of stewardship today. And um, there's th those four different models, and uh, they, there's two good models, and there are two bad models, all right? And so we find these here in the Scripture, people who do different things with the possessions that God's given them. And I'm going to start here in Luke with a bad model. And uh, in your notes, if you're following along, this bad model, I've entitled it, The Steward Who Does Little With Much. All right? This is the first bad model, the steward who does little with much. Here's a person who's been blessed with many, many possessions, and yet he's doing very, very little with them. Let's start reading. Actually, um, I want to back up into verse uh, 13. It gives us a little more context for the story. Then one from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And so you understand the, the context here is materialism. I want my inheritance. But he said to a man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. All right. Now, as we keep reading from here, I want you to pay attention in the next three verses to the use of the personal pronoun. What's the personal pronoun? I my, mine, whatever, right? Okay, pay attention because it's going to, well, I, I won't spoil it. You just pay attention with, with the Bible here. All right, here we go. Verse 17, and he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. 
So it's, it's pretty interesting here, right? The personal pronoun, if you count in those three verses where we started paying attention, it occurs 11 times in three verses. 11 times. This guy made a terrible mistake. He thought that what he had was whose? His. That's right. He thought what he had was his. And so he said, what will I do with my goods? He didn't have to store up those goods, by the way. If he didn't have room for all of them, he didn't have to store them. He could have shared them. He could have helped needy people. He could have advanced the kingdom of God. Notice that it was after he made his bad decision to build bigger barns and keep it all for himself, after he made his bad decision that God called him a fool. Not until then, but it was after he made that bad decision, God called him a fool. It was after that God said, tonight your soul is required of you. Now, I happen to believe that this scenario could have been a lot different. It could have been otherwise. He could have taken his goods and used them to help his fellow man, and he could have used them for the glory of God. And if he had done that, instead of calling him a fool, God would have said, well done. Instead of requiring his soul of him that night, that man could have lived a long and a happy and a prosperous life, and he could have enjoyed the fruit of watching the Lord's blessings on him as he passed those blessings on to many other people, and he could see their joy and how it blessed them. But he was a fool. Why? Because he had much, but he did little with it for God and for others. You see, all he had to do was use the wealth God had given him to bless others, but he didn't do it, and it cost him everything. Let me give you four observations really quickly about this model, these bad, this bad example of, a, of someone who did little with much. First observation, self was given number one consideration. In the Bible story that we just read, all the only person the guy was thinking about was who? Himself, that's right. What am I going to do for me? Number two, he had an opportunity to help others. The person who is given very much by God had this opportunity to be a blessing to other people, but he, did it, he decided not to do it, which brings me to number three, he made a bad decision. The farmer or this rich man in this, in this story here, this first model, he made a really bad decision to store up and keep for himself. And that brings me to number four, he paid for his bad decision. In the story, the farmer who made the bad decision suffered the consequences for it. And by the way, they were eternal consequences. They weren't just temporary. Now here's why it's hard for a person who has much to be a good steward, okay? A couple reasons I'm going to share with you why it's hard for a person who has a lot, who's well off in terms of material possessions, to be a good steward. Too many options. People of means, most of the time, they have all types of options open to them. They do not have to do one thing. They're not locked into one, one thing here. I mean, when they, you know, go to buy a car, they're not locked into the Malibu. You know, it, it, there's a lot of different options available. They're not even locked into financing and, and, and what kind of a loan they can get. or how, You know, it, there's too many, there's just so many options. They don't have to be one place. They don't have to do one thing. And, and unfortunately, many times, because folks often have a fleshly, a worldly mindset, we choose the wrong 
options. Now, the second reason it's difficult for a rich person to be a good steward is too much control. Too much control. People with wealth usually have what else? Power, right? Money talks, right? Yeah, and, and so you know how these things go. Uh, and so they have a difficult time submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's hard to let go. It's hard for all of us, but in these other cases, in particular, and let God control everything about a wealthy person's life. Now, I know what you're saying right now. I know what you're saying right now. You're saying most of you feel really, really good about this part of the message. You're saying, amen, pastor. Amen, pastor. You just pour it on them rich folk. You let them have it. You know, those people, they're loaded. They should give all that money away. Amen. Let them have it. I know that's what's going through your mind. You're just wallowing in the message right now. Don't worry. The train's coming down your track too. Because before I'm done this morning, I plan on biblically running over every one of us here today, all right? It's going to hit all of us, because this is a bad model. It's a person who does little with much. And by the way, I hate the, the idea that r being rich automatically makes you unspiritual or bad. Who? Abraham was the wealthiest guy around. Job was the wealthiest guy around. They were wonderfully godly people who did incredible good in the world. So let's not equate those two things together around here, okay? It's not that way. But there are pitfalls. All right, let's go on. Let's turn to John chapter 6, verse 5. John chapter 6, and um, we'll start in verse 5. The second model of a steward is a good one. It's a person that does the opposite that we just read. They do much with little. The first person did little with much. This person is going to do much with little. Now, the world may despise, and so if you're following along your notes, there you have it, the steward who does much with little. The world may despise small things, but I want to tell you here today, Jesus Christ does not despise small things. He said, it's the cup of cold water that you give in my name, right? It makes all the difference. It's the widow who gave her two mites. God sees the small things, and he blesses the person who does much with little. John 6 gives us an example of that. It's the only miracle of Jesus that's actually recorded in all four of the Gospels. And, and it's the story of the, uh, the feeding of the 5,000 with uh, this little boy that shared his lunch, and it just had a few little loaves and a few small fish. It's a beautiful example of someone who did much with little, right? Let's start reading in verse 5, John chapter 6. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing the great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has uh, five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Let's stop there for just a moment. Notice that statement. What are they 
among so many, right? Tuck that in your mind. Because isn't that how we often think about things? We're, we're, we're not possibility thinkers. We're, we're small-minded. We're impossibility thinkers. And, and we look around 5,000 people to be fed. It's impossible. We find one kid with five loaves and two fish. Why even bother? Well, that's just somebody's lunch. That's not going to make any difference. It's just for him. What would five loaves and two small fish be for so many? many people. Let's keep reading. Verse 10. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. See, this is what I love about Jesus. He's a possibility thinker, right? Amen. When you have God in it, think possibility. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as what? As much as they wanted. It wasn't even just, just a little bit. Enough to take the edge off your hunger. It was what? As much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. This is an awesome example of somebody who does much with little. You see, there are temptations for people who don't have very much not to be good stewards, right? Temptations for them not to be good stewards. And let me give you two of the things that tempt this kind of a person in that kind of a situation. One, there is barely enough for my own needs. You see, we're not tempted to be a good steward when we have only a very little because we say, how can I help others when I can barely take care of myself? What's going to happen to me if I help so-and-so, right? So that's a constant temptation for people who have little as far as possessions go. And the second temptation that keeps us from being good stewards when we have a little is, is to say this. Giving my little to a big, needy world is not going to make a difference. It's just, it's just like a grain of sand on the seashore. It's, it's not, nobody's even going to notice it. What will my little bit do in this world of tremendous problems and tremendous needs? My goodness, all these needs, it's just overwhelming. I don't even know where to start, so I don't think I will. You see, for those two reasons, people who have little many times tend not to be good stewards. What is my little bit in this world that is so needy and I can bear? I barely have enough to take care of myself. Well, I want to ask you a question. Anybody here good at math today? Let me see your hands. No takers. Nobody. Oh, oh yes. That's praise the Lord. We got our resident CPA in the house. All right, good. Maybe at second service, there'll be somebody else that's good at math too. Okay. So how much, think about this. How much is four sextillion, eight quintillion dollars? How much is that? Well, let me just put it this way. A lot. I love that. Somebody said a lot. Good. Scott, you don't even need to know math, right? Okay, very good. You know. <laughs> yes. So I figured this out, okay? And uh, so if you do this, uh, let me try to get this up on the screen here. Okay, so if you take a four and, a, and then you put 008 and then you put 18 zeros behind it, that's four uh, sextillion, eight quintillion dollars. 
pastors, okay? There's not even that much money in the entire world, okay? The entire world is only measured in terms of trillions of dollars. The GDP, all the wealth in the entire world amounts into the trillions, maybe two or three hundred trillion dollars, all the countries combined, all right? That's where we're at. So, I mean, this is just astronomical. So you say, well, why are you talking about this, pastor? Well, here's why. I'm talking about it because of the widow and her two mites. Think about this. When Jesus saw her put the offering in the temple that day, those two mites, if they'd have been put, follow me now, in the bank of Jerusalem at 4% interest, compounding semi-annually, by now, in this year, they'd be four sextillion, eight quintillion dollars. Now, here's my point. You love this, Ed, I know. He's just grinning over there. Okay, you love. So, here's my point. If the world can compound money in that way, how much more can our God, hello? How much more can our God, when we become good stewards and start investing in a spiritual kingdom of our time and our talent and our tithe, how much more can our God take the little bit, the two mites that we might give him and invest it and compound it and grow it for the spiritual kingdom? When we get to heaven, the first joy we're going to have of getting there is seeing Jesus. And you know what the second joy is going to be? It's going to be this. Seeing how the people we touched as a good steward and gave that cup of cold water, just that little thing, how we touched them in the name of Jesus, how doing that has compounded and how it's touched hundreds and thousands of people beyond what we ever knew about because we touched them and they touched someone else and they touched someone else and it keeps rippling and going out and out and out. Why? Because we did as much as we could with the little possessions that we had. The boy in John 6 is a great example of someone who did much with little. He had little, but he gave much. So let's go in our Bibles now to Matthew chapter 25. The third model that we're going to look at here, we're back to another bad model. We just saw a good one. Matthew 25, we'll pick up in verse 24. Uh, This is the model, another bad model, of a person who does little with little. In the parable of the talents, now you're very familiar with this, so I'm going to kind of jump in and out, and I'm not going to read it through from beginning to end. The master, you know, there's a master, he's got his servants, he's going to take a trip, he's going to be gone for a while, so he gives five talents to one guy, two to another guy, and one to another guy, and then he goes away on his trip for a long time, okay? So... In this parable, the master gave one guy one talent, then he left on a journey, and he came back after some time. Now remember, we're talking about an example of someone who does little with little. Verse 24 and verse 25. Then he would receive, so the master has come back, and, and the, the guy with one talent is talking to him. Then he, would, who, he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord... I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. Now notice that comment. You have what is yours. I want to stop right there and think about that with you. God is not wanting to receive back from us 
what He gave us. He's not wanting us just to hold what He gave us. He wants us to develop it and compound it. He wants us to multiply what He's given us. He's not wanting us to come to Him and say, Here, God, you gave me ten, here's ten back. You gave me five, here's five back. You gave me one, here's one back. No, no. He wants us to cultivate, and He wants us to grow, and He wants us to expand what we have. He told Adam and Eve in the garden, Go out and what? Fill the earth and multiply and expand. Don't just sit there with what I gave you. He doesn't expect us just to hold what he blessed us with. So let's keep reading. Verse 26, but his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Now that's not even true, but the master doesn't even argue with him. He says, okay, fine, if you want to say it that way. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Four observations about the person that does little with little. Number one, following along your notes, we are accountable to God regardless of our gifts. You know, many of us might think, well, I have a few gifts, so it doesn't really matter. I, you know, I only have a few blessings from God, a few gifts, so it doesn't really matter. I'm not so accountable. But we look over at someone with a lot of gifts, they say, now they're really responsible because they got a lot more. No, that's not really how it works. Doesn't matter if it's many or doesn't matter if it's few. We are no less accountable to God than the person who has many, if we only have few, we're not any less accountable. Because the master came back to those three servants that he trusted things to. They all had varying degrees of gifts and varying degrees of abilities, but he asked them each the same question. They all got asked the same question. No matter how much or little they had, he asked them all the same question. Number two, God expects us to multiply our gifts. We're not to take what God gave us and just hold it and hang on to it and give it back to him exactly the way he gave it to us. God's not into that. When he blesses us with talents and abilities, he expects us to multiply them and do something with them. And then number three, the sin of doing nothing is a great sin to God. When people do something terrible, often we look around and we see that terrible thing and we say, well, no wonder God's really upset about that. No wonder God is really grieved about that. But here, all the man did was nothing. He didn't do anything. And you might look at that and say, well, he didn't do anything. What's so bad about that? He just took his master's talent and held it, just buried it. And God was greatly grieved. He was not pleased at all. The sin of doing nothing is a great sin to God. And number four, how we use our gift today determines how many gifts we receive tomorrow. You see what happened in that story, right? You'll, you'll, we'll go back and, and look at more of it in, in, in the next minute, but... Uh, the guy that did nothing with what he had ended up losing even that much and had, let, and had nothing. And another guy who did something with what God gave him, 
he received even more. And so what we do with our gift today determines if we will get more or if we will get less tomorrow. The person who does little with little has two temptations to keep him from being a good steward. The first temptation is that the gift seems insignificant. The talent, the ability, it seems so small, there's a tendency to despise it instead of cultivate it. And, 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 and maybe that's what happened here. You know, the man had only one talent. He said, oh, my goodness, this is not very much. The master won't miss this if I don't do anything with it. it, it I mean, what's this in, in the grand scheme of his wealth and everything? He's not going to notice it. Well, maybe he got that way because he paid attention to little details, the master, Right? And, and one talent, if you manage it wisely, it becomes two, and that two can become four, and so on. And so maybe, anyway, and so, so the other thing, maybe, that the other temptation that uh, could happen is that, well, you know, maybe the fellow saw the other two guys get five talents and two talents, and, and maybe he decided to have a poor pity me party, you know? Went over there in the corner of the church and sucked his thumb and said, oh, man, Went over there and pouted. I, I can't sing in the choir. Or I can't be on the board, so I'm just not going to do anything. My goodness. That could be a temptation. Now, the second temptation, make sure you get this down, by the way, is the people with little, oh, when I receive more blessings, then I'll start giving. This is a big thing. I hear it all the time. When I receive more, then I'll be a good steward. People say, Pastor, I just can't afford to tithe. I don't make enough money. But when I start making more, next time I get a raise, then I'll start giving to God. No, you won't. You've already spent the raise before you got it. Stewardship has nothing to do with how much or how little you or I have. We've already seen that you can be a bad steward with much, or you can be a good steward with little, or you can be a bad steward with little. We've already seen those examples. It has nothing at all to do with your possessions. Now, in a moment, I'm going to give you the distinguishing difference, um, but I want to share a, a scripture here with you right away. Luke 16 verse 10 says this, he was faithful in what is least is faithful also in what? Much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Let me give you a little pearl of wisdom here. If you don't have much right now and you want to have much, get faithful with what you have and see what God will do. And here's, here's one thing that I really believe. What kind of a character do you need to have to handle wealth? Wealth is a heavy burden. And I really believe not more people are wealthy because they don't have the characters to handle it. It will destroy you. It will eat you up. And there are principles. And if you're faithful with what you have, even though it's a little bit, God's going to see that and he's going to know, hey, I can trust him with more. And I'm getting away from my sermon and I know I'm running out of time, so I better get back here. But, but Jesus says, if you're faithful in small things, you'll be faithful in big things. And if you're a good steward when you have nothing, you're going to be a good steward when you have everything. If you're a bad steward when you have nothing, you'll be a bad steward if you ever get to have everything, right? Now, what, what happens with verse 11? Here's what Jesus says. 
Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? If you haven't been faithful in the few riches, few worldly things that you've had, how will you ever be faithful to trust with eternal riches, true riches? Wow. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's try to wrap up here. Let's go to our last model, Matthew 25 and verse 19. Model number four is a good model. It's the person who does much with much. I love this one. Person who does much with much. Verse 19. And again, you know, the master's coming back, but he who had received, uh, uh, oh, sorry, uh, verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained uh, me two, two talents more or two talents more beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Do you notice that both servants, even though one had five and came back with five, and one had two and came back with two, even though it was different amounts that they came back with, do you know that they got the same commendation from the Lord? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little. I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you ruler over more. They got the same commendation from the Lord. And so here's this guy. He started out with the most and he did the most with it. The guy with the five talents. That's great stewardship. To have much and not forget where it came from and use it on yourself, but to develop it for the master and then give it back to him. That is awesome stewardship. Notice this, God, and here's the lesson in this, God increases our resources after we have proven to be good stewards. He doesn't increase them and say, now let, let me see if, you, if I can trust you with this. You prove that you can be trusted with what you already have, and then God increases the resources after that. When the master came back, the man who had five talents to gain five more, and he said, well done. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. I'm going to give you more gifts. I'm going to give you more talents. I'm going to give you more blessings and more resources. He, he gives them to us after we've proven ourselves. Now, I want to review here this morning real quickly. There were two bad models of stewardship and two good ones. The two bad ones were doing little with much, and doing little with little, right? And the two good ones were doing much with little and doing much with much. And by the way, these people in the fourth category, those who do much with much, they do amazing things for the kingdom of God. I mean, you know, you pro I mean, there, there's a lot of ex examples, but just in the Adventist community, you probably have heard of the McKee family, right? of Little Debbie fame. I, I know it's kind of dubious because Adventists are supposed to be into health foods, right? <laughs> but the McKee fortune is built on Little Debbie's. But I mean, literally tens of millions of dollars given into the kingdom of God. 
and educational institutions and all kinds of mission projects around the world funded. Another name in the Adventist world you might have heard of is McNeilis, right? McNeilis, another huge, I mean, funding churches, Maranatha projects all around the world, missionaries, building the kingdom of God. These are great examples of people who do much with much and just pour it into the kingdom of God. It's, that's the one I love. You can do so much for God's kingdom and make such a difference in the world. But I digress. Um, so here, it's interesting how the Bible lays stewardship out for us. Because in these four examples, what I want you to notice is there is a bad example of a rich man and there's a good example of a rich man, right? And, and there's a bad example of a poor man and there's a good example of a poor man. And so it hits every one of us. There's something here for every one of us. Jesus wants us to understand stewardship has nothing to do with your economic level today. I'm going to give you three words that summarize the difference between a good steward and a bad one. And remember, stewardship is a choice. And today you get to choose the model that you're going to be. Or you get to look at those models and say, well, here's kind of where I'm at. Is that where God wants me to be, right? The first word that I want to give you for your notes as we wrap up is ownership. Ownership. Those who were bad stewards, do you know what they felt? They felt that they owned it. It's my possessions, my barns, my goods. What will I do? Here I have kept what you gave me. Okay, the good stewards, they understood that God owns it all. That's what they understood. God owns it all. Um, and so uh, that's ownership. They, they had no problem with letting God be the one who owned everything and, and, and knowing that they were just taking care of it for him. The next word that I want to give you is trust. Number two is trust. Trust is really about control. You see, bad stewards, they could not trust God with their resources. Don't trust God with things. But good stewards, hey, they trust God with what? Everything. Bad stewards don't trust them with anything. Good ones trust them with everything. And uh, uh, this is really an issue for us humans. We love to be in control. And, and, and so here's the interesting thing. Uh, with, with the rich man, uh, you know, there who built all the barns, or, or when you think of the parable, of the, rich, uh, the story of the rich young ruler who went away from Jesus sadly, was it because he had great possessions? I don't think he went away sad because he had great possessions. I think he went away sad because he didn't trust God with them. That's what I think. He didn't trust God with them. So it's a matter of whom do I trust? Who is going to be in control? Will it be me or will it be God? The third word I want to give you is attitude. Attitude. Bad stewards have bad attitudes, they have selfish attitudes, they have me first attitudes, they have materialistic attitudes, good stewards have good attitudes, they have unselfish attitudes, giving attitudes, others oriented attitudes, they have those kinds of attitudes about themselves, about God, about life, about others, that's the difference between a good steward and a bad one, okay. Now it's time for you to choose the model that you are going to live by, that's going to be yours. The choice 
is yours. And so you can take out that card and look at it some more. If you have few possessions in life, you can choose whether you're going to do much with little or little with little. If, uh, and you, you, de de you determine that by how you give it to God. And if you have great possessions in this life, you can decide whether you're going to do much with much or whether you're going to do little with much. It's your choice. My appeal to you today, make the right choice. Father in heaven, I thank you for this time in your word. I thank you that you love us so much and you're so practical. And I pray that you will help each one of us, no matter what our circumstances in life, to trust you and to be the kind of steward that you can bless and trust with more, whether it's little or much, so that we may be a blessing to others and to your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you were blessed by this sermon. So bring a friend, listen, have a conversation, and remember, you're in our prayers.